celebrating female role models across our community live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to Be Like Her on Academy Live. Welcome everyone, live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to Be Like Her live on Academy Live. My name is Audrey and my co-hosts today are Ava, Emma and Priya. Our special guest today is Anna Burke Ao, former Australian politician, Speaker of the House and current member of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. Welcome to the show today, Anna. So how did it feel to become a member of the House of Representatives? Thanks for having me today. It's very exciting to be here. I'm, I'm feeling a bit special, really. Um, it, it was a bit surreal to become a member of the House of Representatives. Um, since Federation, there's only been 1,229 people who've become members of the House of Parliament in Canberra. Of that, only about 250 have been females. So it's a pretty select, a pretty amazing thing to, to achieve. And I've always described myself as the Stephen Bradbury. I, you know, you lot are way too young to understand that. But he was a guy who won an Olympic gold because all the other competitors fell over and he kept going. Mind you, he was still in the final. Like he had achieved to get there. So um, I ran for parliament. I told my husband, it's okay, I can't win. And everybody said, you know, it's all right, too long a shot. I'm from the Labor Party. It was a traditional Liberal seat. The current member was a really well-known guy, minister. Well, he didn't run for the seat. He swapped seats. So I was then running against an incumbent. And so I went from doing my bit for the Labor Party, standing as a candidate and giving the people a choice when they go to the ballot box about uh, electing somebody to being, oh, my goodness, I might become a member of parliament. Um, So it was pretty extraordinary but, again, um, amazing um, achievement, something I'm immensely proud of. I came from a little suburb called Ashwood, you know, and to get into Parliament, it's incredible. Yeah. Were you nervous? Oh, yeah. Terrified. Still am half the time. Um, <laughs> to be honest, it, it, election day, right, you, you go out there, you don't know what's going to happen. So 100,000 people, you know, you know, it's the worst job interview of your life. 100,000 people, you've got to ask if they'll like you enough to vote for you. And on the night, everyone's saying, you've won, you've won. I'm like, Oh, what do you mean? I've, anyway, I had all the TV cameras. There was Channel 10, Channel 9, Channel 7, Channel ABC. They're all in the line. I was like, I'd never done this much live TV. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh. Anyway, so I'm sort of like, I do Channel 10, I do Channel 9, I do. I'm getting really good at this by the end of it. But, um, and then I went to Canberra and I was like, what am I doing? Am I, you know, imposter syndrome? Do I, if I, really, do I really know what I'm doing? Um, probably not. But, you know, I got better at it, like most things. Um, and I think because we're females, um, we judge ourselves harder, we question ourselves more, and because of that, we work harder. Yeah. So, yeah, nervous, but took the nervous energy and worked on it. That's amazing. Yeah. Hi, I'm Priya. Um, thinking back to high school, who and what were the influences that had an impact on your future decision? It's a really good question. I only went to the one school, um, so I went from – Presentation College Windsor, which is no longer there, unfortunately. Um, well, I went to St Benedict's Burwood for one year and then I went from grade one to, you know, year 12 at the one school. Um, Visualise this. No, none of you will probably understand this, but I grew up in this place called Ashwood. It's sort of like Mount Waverley oh. in the ends of the universe. And my mother sent me to Windsor 
which was like the other end of the universe. So most of my life was buses, trains, trams and all the rest of it. Why did I go to Windsor? Oh, that was because that's where my mother went to school, all right? So anyway, but leaving that aside, um, one of the, uh, the, the amazing forces, and I think people don't give them enough credit, were the nuns at Windsor, the Presentation College nuns. They were a force to be reckoned with. They are some of the earliest feminists. Like These are the women who really, you know, went out there and said, this is what I'm doing. I'm dedicating my life to it. Um, so there was a Sister Mary who taught me um, English in year 12 and along the way. She was an incredible woman, um, still a force of nature. So someone like that, Nano Nagel, who was actually the founder of the presentation nuns, incredible. If you look at her story, um, there's so some interesting things along the way. But obviously my mother, both my grandmothers, my dad's one of ten. My, my very Irish grandmother came out here as an 18-year-old, didn't know anybody else had 10 kids, ran a milk bar. My grandfather went back to the Second World War, leaving her here with 10 kids, and she just soldiered on. There was no sentimentality about the woman whatsoever. You never got a gift. You never got a thank you. <laughs> but she just trudged on with life. And I just thought, well, that's it. You know, you just get on with things. Um, my mum's mum grew up in Hepburn Springs, and she had this really attractive elder sister. And the attractive elder sister was taken off to live with the cousins in the big house down the road. And, and she got to go to the school and she got to go to Melbourne. And my, my nana got none of this but never resented it. And then in, in later life, it was just amazing. It was this incredible story. Um, later life, she just went on, had a lovely, had, you know, great marriage, three kids, did really well. This aunt who'd had everything given to her and had inherited all this money and never shared, never shared a thing, she got ill and my grandmother, what did she do? She looked after her. So I think they're just some amazing people. They're not extraordinary but it's that perseverance, dedication, humility, bit of humour. Amazing. So I, I am Ava. So growing up, did you think you would become a woman of – in the position of power? No, not a prayer. No. <laughs> I surprise myself every day. Um, look, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a leader at school. I wasn't, you know, one of those people that people looked at and thought she's it. It was always going to be my best friend, Bernadette, who is still one of my closest friends. Um, everyone thought it would always be her. Sadly, Bern's mum died in year 12, which was just horrendous. Um, and she did, her father had already died and she had no brothers and sisters. So her life, again, was extraordinary. She's been a, an amazing influence and presence in my life. But everyone thought it would be Bernadette. So I was sort of always in the shadow of my best friend. I know that sounds odd. And then we went to uni together and I was still sort of – she's this amazing personality. Like you think I'm – you should meet her. She's just this, this amazing personality. So I – everyone assumed I think it would be Bern and I just – I just go along, I do okay. But I always had this innate belief in myself that I had capabilities more than anybody else recognised and I also had this desire to help people. I know this sounds ridiculous, you know, it sounds like the beauty queen. What do you want? What do you want to achieve? Well, I want to achieve world peace. And I do, I still want to achieve world peace more now than ever, sadly, in this world. Um, but that was sort of my driving goal, not to be influential or have power but to help and if you had to have power to do that well that's what you had to do. So did you surprise yourself when you got into the position you were? 
Oh, totally. Completely. <laughs> Everything surprised me. Like, you know, um, I didn't do very well at year 12. Um, a whole lot of reasons. I locked myself in a room and cried for a day. Um, and my mother said, you've passed. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to get to university. Get out of your room. Everyone will think you've I might as well. And I was terrible. I go cried for a whole day um, until Bernadette came around and maybe go drinking, um, which I shouldn't have done because I wasn't 18. But don't, don't repeat that, okay? Um, anyway, so every time it's always been like, but from there, it's like, I can do this. I got into uni. I did very well at university. Um, I got my first graduate job, first 12 months of my graduate job. I got a promotion. And I've just chipped away at it. Like, I've never thought it'd be easy. None of it's easy. But, again, just your own belief in yourself. Work hard. See what happens. Wow. Yeah. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Be Like Her Live on Academy Live, live from the Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Audrey and today my co-hosts are Ava, Emma and Priya. And our special guest today is Anna Burke Ayo, former Australian politician, Speaker of the House and current member of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. So Anna, what difficulties have you had to overcome in your professional life? Well, I think one of the difficulties we've all got, sadly, is being female. Um, you know, and it's, it's tragic, you know. Um, uh, there was a, a, a show that uh, was on the ABC. If you can get onto iView and watch it, it's about uh, women in parliament done by Annabelle Crabb. And all these women get on, like really impressive, high-flying women. Um, Penny Wong, Julie Bishop, all these amazing women. And they all say the same things. Oh, we sat in meetings with men and they ignored what we said. But as soon as a man said it, it, oh, it was great. Great idea. And so, you know, those sort of things you have to overcome. Um, so, again, you know, just believing in yourself. We're not great at networking at females or putting ourselves forward. We just think that merit and working hard will have its own reward. Yeah, no. Nah. Um, there's no such thing as merit. There's no such thing as being recognised. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to do the hard work, but you've got to put yourself out there. So um, those sort of things um, – I have a learning disability, I'm dyslexic, so just being able to overcome that. And I think because I managed to grapple with that through uni and through school, I went, hell, if I can, you know, if I can master that, I can master anything. Um, I got elected to parliament in 98. I had my first child in 99. I got re-elected in 2001. I had my second child in 2002. So the wonderful juggle of having family and work um, and the expectations – my husband took 12 months off when we had our first child. And everyone was like, oh, wow, you're going to take 12 months off work. I was like, yeah, just like your wives do all the time. So it was this <laughs> absolute reversal. And my husband was more than happy to have and do that because it was our family. But those things, um, you know, oh, well, you're going into parliament. You don't want to have a family. No, I do want to have a family. Not that I want to have it all, but why couldn't I? All these blokes also had you know, their yeah. wives were off having kids. Um, so, yeah, like, yeah, there's lots of things. You just got to chip away at it and, again, have your own innate belief in your own ability. Mm. Hi, Anna. I'm Emma. And I was just wondering, who are your role models? Who have been your role models? Look, I think there's some great role models out there. Um, uh, the one I uh, tell them, my, my first staff member said I was never allowed to say this in public. My hero is Winnie the Pooh. Um, <laughs> not as a role model, but Winnie the Pooh's my hero because he's a dumb, fat bear that everybody loves, you know, that, and he is not judged by his look 
looks or his intellect, but by his innate character, that he is this, this solid, loyal friend. So I've always sort of aspired to that notion of just being solid and, and, and having this loyal friend. Um, in politics, a woman I've admired who doesn't get a lot of credit is a woman called Joan Child. She was the first speak, female speaker of the House of Representatives. Joan was a single mum, raised three boys, went back to uni um, her own self, worked as a cleaner, went and got an accounting degree, started working for a member of parliament, got into parliament, like all the while as a single mum doing all these things in an age where you didn't get the single mother's pension. Um, she is just incredible. She, she passed away several years ago. Um, and I had this amazing honour at the end of her life. Um, I was Speaker of the House of Representatives. Julia Gillard was Prime Minister and Quentin Bryce was the Governor. And so all three of us at this state funeral for Joan Child were all women. It's the only time it's happened in Australian history and sadly I don't think we're going to see it again anytime soon. Um, so I was just wondering what experiences helped prepare you for your role in Parliament? Oh, look, I think life in general. Um, and for me, grounding in social justice through my education, through my church, through my faith, through my family, that notion of, you know, helping others. Um, I got involved in politics in about, you know, way before any of you were even thought about in 88, 1988, was a thing called the International Year of Peace. And we were having a youth forum to celebrate peace. And you know what happened? It ended in a brawl. The cops arrived. People were in the back of divvy vans. Someone painted a swastika on my elder sister's home. Um, and, you know, I sat there going, great, great. I can sit there and go, well, nothing changes. We can never do anything. Or what can I do? I can get involved. So that's what I did. Bizarrely, I joined the Labor Party to be involved. What advice would you would you have for women who are interested in working in politics? Find your own passion and get involved. So what is it that drives you? Don't do it because you want to get power. Um, you don't get power. Um, you, you know, that doesn't happen. What is it about your area and your community? So, you know, I grew up in Ashwood. For me, it was about peace. Back then, it was nuclear disarmament, still a little bit about nuclear disarmament. Um, but along the way, you know, I didn't think I could change it overnight, but I could be involved in something. So finding your passion, your concern, finding your tribe. For me, it was the Labor Party. Is it the Teals? Is it the Green? Is it the Libs? Is it standing as an independent? Is it actually doing something in your own local community? Um, is it, you know your neighbourhood house or an environmental community group, you know, looking after, you know, uh, you know, friends of Mary Creek, people concerned about the environment, doing something, you know, acting local, thinking global. You know, we don't say that anymore but it really is still a resonance you can do. So what are you concerned about? And don't be put off that you're a young person and you're a girl and you have nothing to offer. What you've got is two, two feet, a hand to knock on a door and a voice to speak with. Trust me, that's the most powerful thing we have. In this day and age where there is so much communication, the most influential thing in all elections, in all change, is one-on-one -on -one conversation. You've all got so much power and you should use it to change the things that you see aren't right in your own community. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So traditionally young men tend to have adult males as their role models 
Um, is there any reason why you think young men can't see themselves having a role model like someone like you, like a woman? That's a really good question. It's, it's a fascinating thing. And, yeah, usually it is. And I must admit when I, as I said, you know, I got involved in politics. I've been involved for a long time. And, you know, a lot of my, you know, male contemporaries, you know, they'd, you know, they'd, they'd have dealt with Paul Keating or they'd, uh, you know, been having conversations when he was still alive with Bob Pork and all the rest of it. But I think nowadays, particularly post Julia Gillard's um, position in power, I think a whole lot of young guys have gone, I actually – we look at those people. I mean, also thinking internationally, someone like Angela Merkel, you know, the most astounding uh, politician that we've seen in our lifetime, you know, there for all that time. I think people have gone, well, actually, they've got things to offer. And actually, university research now shows that countries led by women do better. They do better socially, economically, environmentally. So there's a whole lot of research that are actually saying women make better leaders. Why do they make better leaders? They're better listeners. Um, so uh, people won't probably be aware, but the country that's got the most female representations uh, in their parliament is Rwanda in Africa because they've got quotas and they introduce quotas post the turmoil of the what's known as the Hootsies and Tootsies killing each other. Um, and they didn't say we want equal numbers of the tribes. We want equal numbers of men and women. And why? Because women moderate things. They make it more safe. They make it more gentle. And so since that time, which has been a while, more and more people have been voting for women in Rwanda because they get better outcomes. And the women are better leaders because they're better listeners. So I think young men are now twigging onto it and working out, you know, it's not just the blokes who can do all the heavy lifting. Now, I was just wondering whether you were ever underestimated by the people around you. All the time. It's a constant. It still goes on. <laughs> it's very funny. I was at a conference addressing them yesterday and I, that was what I ended with, you know, don't be surprised that you're underestimated. Yeah, I think it's it's a constant. A, because you're a female. B, I'm not great at selling myself. It's never been my thing. My thing is more just the interacting with people and, and doing it. Um I won my seat six times. It's one of the most marginal seats in the country. Uh, the year I retired, the Labor Party lost the seat. Um, you know, it wasn't all about me, but there was a small part that, you know, I'd held on and I had this loyal following <laughs> that wasn't going to follow just the Labor Party. They were actually voting for me. Um, and I was like, you guys, don't you recognise the talent? I think that happens a lot. But... Um, I work now at what's known as the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and uh, we have what's known as the President who's the head of that. Uh, he was a former colleague of mine at Parliament and uh, he rang me up and said, ah, ah, you're coming here, Anna. I'm like, yes, Duncan, I am <laughs> coming there. Oh, do you think you'll cope? I said, yes, Duncan, I think I will do exceptionally well. Uh, and when he retired... Uh, about 12 months ago, he came and said, yeah, you surprised me, Anna. I think, you know, it's not bad to surprise people. Um, so what do you want to be remembered for? That is a great question. I, that was what I actually when I was just doing this presentation literally yesterday with people who are all in parliament now who are aspiring to be ministers. And I said, if you get to do your valedictory, what do you want to say in that valedictory leaving parliament that you want to be remembered for? Because I've 
got the opportunity to do that. It was a really hard question. What do I think I've actually achieved in my 18 years of being here? Um, and sadly, it wasn't a lot, but it was a lot all at the same time. There wasn't one thing that I could go, I can point to this bit of legislation or this change or this endemic thing, but I could point to a whole lot of myriad of things where myself or my staff had changed and helped other people's lives. So I think that's what I want to be remembered for, that I helped, I cared, I helped. What areas um, might you see yourself involved in the future? Sleep. I dream of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what I want to do. Um, yeah, I've, I, I, I've been working um, one way or another since I was 13. My first job was selling popcorn and fairy floss at Chadston. It was a great job. I got 20 cents an hour and all the popcorn and fairy floss I could ever eat, I cannot eat fairy floss ever again. I can't even smell the stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I've had jobs, I've done things. Um, because I was in Parliament when I had my two children, I've never actually had time off. I didn't have maternity leave. I didn't stop. Um, so I think what I'd really like to do is sort of um, give back to some not-for-profits in in some ways – you know, if they want to appoint me as governor, governor general's a really good house. I'd like to hang out down there. But um, I never know. It's always a bit of a mystery, you know. So um, when I was at school, I wanted to be an anaesthetist. <laughs> what was I thinking? Um, there was no hope. But, yeah, so uh, just see what comes. But I think to have a bit of a quieter life eventually would be nice. So um, what advice would you have for young women who are interested in working in politics in the future? I think, you know, you've got to find your passion. You've got to be true to yourself and you've got to think about what it is that you want to achieve and don't get too hung up on becoming, you know, a member of council, a member of state government. A member, it, it's very rare and it's hard to do. So don't go with that is my ambition. That wasn't my ambition. Um, strive for it but don't get disappointed by it. So what's plan B? What's, you know... Plan E, what's plan F in some respects in politics because there's never a given you're going to get there. But there's also great ways of giving, you know. You can be a staff member. You can be a volunteer. You can get involved in the upcoming state election, you know. Think about who's the local candidate. You might want to go and help. So look at it, think about it, um, but don't rule it out. Don't get put off by what you see at question time and think this is this is horrible this is all men and men yelling and screaming at each other, carrying on like kindergarten children. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. There's no two ways about it. But um, unless people are prepared to put their hands up and get involved, particularly women, that is the state of the nation. Never take our democracy for granted. As soon as you're all old enough, enrol to vote. Take that vote as precious. Hold on to it and, and cherish the right we have in this country. Would you ever want to go back to the House of Representatives? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I got asked at the last election to re-nominate for Chisholm and I went, yeah, no, yeah, no. Was there something like in particular that you've done that you're really proud of? Oh, look, there's, there's lots of sort of little things. Um, one thing that is a bit ridiculous, I introduced this bill called the Do Not Call Register. So mm. to stop telemarketers being able to just ring up your house um, so it became illegal after I introduced this bill in opposition as a private member's bill that I, I banged on about on Talkback Radio, the power of Talkback Radio. It's 
where I was. I was on every bit of talkback radio I could find across the country. I did all the morning TVs and evening TVs because it was really important at the time. Like these people just ringing day and night, particularly, you know, old vulnerable women at home. There'd be this phone call at six o'clock right about tea time, you know. Oh, we've got this thing and they'd be really confused. Do I sign up? And there was quite a bit of scamming going on that's still now. So that is a one little thing I can actually point to and say I did that. But one of the last things um, before I retired, this delightful woman came to my office and she was Malaysian uh, by birth but an Australian citizen. Her husband was Dutch and he had um, dual Australian, Malaysian and uh, Netherlands uh, citizenship and he had taken her children without her permission out of the country and uh, he was holding them more or less hostage in Malaysia um, and he'd illegally take them out of the country because they weren't allowed to, they were on a watch list. So he'd literally put them on a boat sort of in reverse to boat people coming here and uh, and it was all to get back at her and it was horrible and we were having all these problems and then he got really ill and taken to hospital. But we knew that but nobody knew where her children were. I was like this poor terrified mother, her three vulnerable children um, and nobody being able to help and we managed literally with hundreds of phone calls and intercepts and things through embassies to get the Red Cross to find these children. I went to a picnic. I met those three kids and it was like, yeah, in a way we made sure they were safe and back in their mother's hands. It was incredible. That's amazing. It's amazing, yeah. <laughs> um, um, sorry, you go over. <laughs> um, I was just wondering, not just generally in work but in your whole entire life, what is probably the most proudest moment you've had for yourself a moment like you you'll never forget like a moment that you thought that like can top all the other moments like <laughs> like you've never been more proud of yourself yeah it's, it's a really tough one I mean there's obvious you know there's you know I've given birth to two children um you know don't be put off it's not a lot of fun um <laughs> but, but an amazing experience afterwards uh Mind you, I wasn't thinking that this morning with my 20-year-old, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I'll forgive him occasionally. Um, yeah, I, look, there's things along the way. For me, graduating from university was just an amazing experience because I didn't think I'd be able to do that because of my problems with spelling. Yeah. Um, so I sat my year 12 exams orally. I sat my university exams orally. I had to um, get permission for a proofreader of my honours thesis um, so I've got, uh, you know, bizarrely, I've got an arts degree uh, with English lit honours. Um, and so I wrote this thesis on a guy called Anthony Trollope. None of you have ever heard of him. I love Anthony Trollope. He's a um, great writer. He wrote this thing called the Barchester Chronicles. It's six very thick books, 19th century, same time as Dickens. Um, so I wrote this thesis. Um, it was really hard. And I had to get a professional proofreader to read it. Because up until then, my mum or friends have been able to proof I couldn't hand in anything in without somebody else reading it through for me. Remember, I'm so old, we didn't have computers. I hand wrote my thesis. I had a friend type it up. I had this other woman proof it. I had my girlfriend then retype it. And then I submitted it in three leather-bound copies. But the proofer, my whole tenet of my thesis was, it's dogged as dogged does it. I.e., you just get on and do it. It's the whole tenet. All through Trollope's books. Dogged as dogged does it. The proofer put it in as it's clogged as clogged does it. <laughs> so in my beautiful three leather-bound books, one that sits in Monash Library, one that sits at home, 
Um, it's got it's cloggered as cloggered does it. And uh, my supervisors, who were fantastic and understood, um, I did very well. Uh, anyway, wrote these wonderful references. How great Anna was! Overcome all this adversity. Of course, I couldn't use them to get a job because I because I wasn't going to admit to anybody. I really couldn't spell um, when I wanted to go and get a job in administration. So, you know, doing that, passing, and then getting my first full-time job as a graduate um, because, again, back in those days you had to sit all these um, IQ tests and uh, spelling tests and grammar tests. <laughs> I, I, you know, I blitzed the IQ test. Yeah, but if I had to sit there and write an essay, yeah, nah. So when I scored my first graduate job and then never had to go through that process again. That was just complete relief. But for me, um, amazing. My mother was going to wallpaper my walls with rejection letters. It was very kind of my mother. Um, <laughs> after I finished university and worked all the hard and done all these things, you know, and I'd been, um, you know, a representative on university council and I'd participated in these groups. I was president of the Newman Society. It was a bit weird, the Catholics on campus. I'd done all these other things. I'd always worked. I had references left, right and centre, but because I had to do all these for graduate jobs at that stage, you had to do exams. I couldn't crack one. So when I finally got that full-time job, I knew in the door I'll prove them wrong and I'll make it from there, and I have. That's excellent. This is just a little bit off topic with like, like parliament and all that. Are you a fan of sport? Uh, yeah, no, no. I'm a gym junkie. I'm a gym junkie. I like to go to the gym. If I can't get my hour of exercise a day, I want to deck somebody because it's my hour of a day. Um, so I'm a bit of a Pilates fan. I like a bit of Pilates. My kids play hockey. My husband plays hockey, the, ro- the real hockey on grass. Um, we're not allowed to call it field hockey in my house because it's genuine hockey. But yeah, <laughs> and tragically at the moment, I'm I'm a you know a, a steep died in the wall Richmond fan. But after losing to North last week, I'm not a hundred percent sure I really want to go on with my team anymore. Um, but yeah, but no, no, it, yeah. sport plays a big part in my house, and I just uh, have to grin and bear it. Yeah. <laughs> my my children worked out how to plug into their grandfather's fox. Uh, network uh, access because I wouldn't buy it because, you know, I wasn't going to subscribe and give any money to Fox. Um, So every time I come downstairs now, there's something on. There was ice hockey on from the States the other day. Like, you know, you know, so quite, yeah, but no. (laughs) So why? Are you a big sports fan? Yeah, I am. I'm really into like footy and tennis. I'm a really big tennis fan as well. So what did you think about Nick? Let's me turn the table on you. You know, come on. (laughs) What did you think? <laughs> I mean, I didn't I, – I, in my personally, I wanted him to win Wimbledon in a way, but I kind of knew that he wasn't going to. Mm. I don't know. I had that hope because, you know, you sort of love him and hate him and you just hate Jokovic. So, anyway, um, <laughs> he's, you know, the man who said women shouldn't be paid the same amount of prize money. Just think about yeah. it. That, that's his, that's his <laughs> great contribute. Yeah. So, look, I yeah, I'm quite interested. And one of the things you have to be good at, in politics is being able to talk about lots of things you know nothing about. Yeah. You know, so understanding where the, where the things are at with football and the cricket was really important in certain areas. Mm. Lawn bowls, because there's all these, in my area, a lot of uh, people, you know, 60 plus, 
uh, I'm terrible at lawn bowls, but, you know, I'd go out there and have a go. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So good. Um, that's all we have time for today. Yep. Thank you to our guest, Anna Burke Ao, former Australian politician, Speaker of the House and current member of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. It's been a great pleasure talking to you today. Oh, it's been my absolute delight. Good luck with everything. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you. Live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia, you've been listening to Be Like Her live on Academy Live. My name is Audrey and my co-hosts today were Ava, Emma and Priya. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you found the information today useful. Until next time, have a great day. Celebrating female role models across our community, live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to Be Like Her live on Academy Live.